Hey there. Wow. So, you know that thing that I always say about the podcast? <laughs> Wait, I think I, I think you and I are going to make the same joke here. I, th- I was I was literally just about to make the same joke. So I'm going to let you do it. I think it's the same one. Um, no, Don, I don't know. I don't know what what you normally say about the podcast. <laughs> well, what I always tell people is it's so much fun to do the podcast that I would do it even if no one listens. And, uh-huh. you know, you know, Ben, do you know when no one is able to listen to a podcast. <laughs> if, if a podcast is falls in the forest, falls in the forest, and no one is there to to listen to the recording that didn't happen, is it still a podcast? Yeah, I think I think it is. It's I unfortunately it's not. I don't. I think you know what we we could do is we could put out. We could just post a, a blank. Uh, you know, give it a number, right, and post it as a blank oh. and say we didn't record it. But, um, <laughs> but we had a great. We had a great conversation. Here are the show notes. Here's yeah, the, yeah. Here are the show notes. Yeah. Well, actually, and the good news is, I think what we're going to try to do here is to not necessarily recreate it, but to ah. replay the tape. Actually, this this is a very nice. Um, speaking of replaying the tape, um, again, Stephen J. Ben, I have a feeling that later <laughs> on in this podcast we might talk about Stephen J. Gould, and he's written in addition to in addition to an essay that I'm sure that I will mention sometime <laughs> in the future. Um, he's written a wonderful book called A Wonderful Life, which is a little bit of a play on the Jimmy Stewart movie. Um, but he talks about what would happen evolutionarily if we replayed the tape, and uh, and we're going to replay you know, the tape anyway. So. So, yeah, so. That, that was not, so that was kind of the joke that I thought you were going to make, uh, but, but so there's something else that you say all the time that I also say all the time about, uh, about the podcast. Um, do you know what that is? Uh, no. If, if it's in the show, it's in the show. It, oh yes. But if it's not in the show, it's not in the show. And I think that's what we did earlier. Was it still, well, was it still in the show? It was, well, it, was, it depends on it depends on what you define as a show, right? right? If if Don and Ben show up on some sort of you know internet connection and they talk to each other, is that a show? So and I, and I keep Check. I keep thinking I keep thinking about Roderick on the line, right? And Roderick on the line was a thing before Merlin started recording it and putting it out. In that John and Merlin would talk, and, right? And, and and my sense is the talks that they would have would are pretty much the same, at least in the early episodes, would be pretty much the same as the talks that they that that, that they're they're having, right? And so, um, and there were a bunch of episodes that they recorded where apparently they talked a lot about Hitler, um, where they those shows will never those were recorded, but will never air. As never air. To our show yeah. that was not recorded and, and then will never air. <laughs> it will it, it might air maybe, but. It'll, It'll be so. I I can report that we that we have about five minutes of of audio <laughs> that that will that either the listener has heard already or you're going to hear as part of the after show. Probably as part of the after show, where I'll tell you the Don. I I feel so terrible. So anyway, the oh don't the, feel bad though. I mean oh, seriously, I, don't feel bad. I, I feel I, I I do you know I'm Canadian so it's it's kind oh, of you have to also it's in the, it's in it's in your constitution it's in our constitution okay. it's in our Magna Carta um yeah. so so I didn't uh, for the listeners you you probably don't know this or maybe you're guessing we 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 scheduled 
a show. We recorded it for like an hour and a half, except we didn't record it because I didn't set it up correctly to record. And then this, this is the point that I will keep in the after show. And I'm not sure it's going to come across perfect, but Don, like, I know at the point that I hit the record button, when the lovely zoom person says recording started or whatever the right message is that I know I heard, I know I couldn't hear that, but I know you heard it because there was this pause. <laughs> and, and then, and you, then said, you could hear me say in my head, a word that begins with the letter F. <laughs> exactly. And then you said, did you record this? And I said, no, <laughs> or something along those lines. Anyway, that is, yeah. that has been uh, preserved. That will be in the after show. So look for that. For those who know, you know what? There might actually be people that listen to this, be people that listen to our show that don't know that we have an after show that, that is not, no one has to pay for. It's free. It's after the, it's a, it's an Easter egg. I mean, we're 250 episodes into this. People should have figured this out by now. Um, but uh, I don't know people, you know, so some people, you know, Ben, some people are completionists and some people are not. And uh, I, I used to, I don't listen to it anymore, but when I used to listen to back to work, I would listen all the way to the end of the song. And oh, I, another show that I mostly listen to is Roboism. And I always listen all the way to the end of the song because it's a really good song. And so right. You know, I, you might feel similarly about uh, Mr. Young and his um, music. Right. Well, and if you do that, then there's this little Easter egg afterwards where you get to hear a schedule. Um, and the the people that listen to the podcast and that have stumbled upon that without knowing that it's planned, um, that number has dwindled. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, like, like, yeah, they think it was a mistake that we left it in that, that, oh, you didn't know you were still recording. No, of course we knew we were still recording. Um, we're professionals, man. We're professionals. We, always, we always know when we're recording, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well done. Yes. We, we know when we're still recording. We don't know when we started recording. That's that, you know, if, if that, that's really the key here. So, so anyway, we, uh, we, we talked for an hour and a half. It was a great conversation. Um, we, we didn't capture all, any of it, but, but, you know, six minutes, um, of us uh, scheduling this time to us talk again. Uh, but here we go. This is the, this is the show I want to, I like, like you said, I don't want to recreate it, but I do want to talk about some of the stuff that we talked about and maybe I'll be able to talk a little better. Cause my, my words, maybe that was, maybe this subconsciously, my, my words were not working this morning. So I, I, maybe like well, didn't record it i mean i can i can catch us up pretty quick are you, are you ready go go okay we talked about soda stream okay yes. we talked about how to get the gas out of the cylinders um <laughs> because you if, if you're low on carbon dioxide you can push the top and then it will come out we talked about the dangers of poison carbon carbon dioxide poisoning so don't do that with a bag over your head don't fact, put a bag, don't over, put your a bag over your head sure. at all yeah um we talked about the fact that you could see a, a yellow porta potty we talked yeah. about how you could buy one on the internet uh, we talked about porta potty dogs which is where not not like them georgia dogs with a d-a-w-g-s but just dogs d-o-g-s uh where you could buy where you could rent porta potties in raleigh raleigh north carolina uh we talked about the state of dinah's kitchen and the state of your building and the, apparently the kitchen is fine um everything is contracting or expanding just the way it's supposed to Correct. because that's how it's designed um we talked about 
how you're a professor and a university scholar. We talked about how you went to um, uh, <laughs> to the point, the went chancellor's point. residence, okay, yep. um, uh, where you met the chancellor who has bonded with you uh, and remembers now he, he, uh, that you are a hockey player. Yeah. And, uh, and so he, oh, what did he, he didn't do hockey. He did a tennis? He, no, he, right? he, he played, he played some hockey at Cornell, oh, uh-huh. but That's his, right. oh, yeah. yeah, but he, but he likes didn't know how to, to skate because he's from because he's from he's from Arkansas. Arkansas. He's from Arkansas, right? and he likes to play guitar. Likes to play guitar. Um, yeah. We talked about oh, why did we talk about why did we talk about Chateau Neuf de Pop? Oh, for some reason because okay, because that was because in the you <laughs> know this because um, it says oh the, cha- the, new, the, the new chancellor's new house right. chancellor's new house right. but that was right. ten years ago Chateau right. Neuf de Pop. And, and I talk about like it doesn't really matter because you know it's the house. Uh, the new house of the Pope uh, is, you know, is actually the, you know, the old, old new house of the Pope, because uh, he's back apparently in the Vatican, that last I heard. Uh, but it's still what they call the region uh, where you can get uh, wine. Um, we talked about uh, <laughs> new, new Teen Titans, right? <laughs> Just like, so Chateau de Pop and New Teen Titans. Um, well, we talked about Squid Game and you talked about how you maybe made a mistake and watched Squid Game with your kids. Yeah. Um, you want me to keep going? I can, no, I've got all these. Amazing. I've got okay. So uh, I think we did it. We, I think we talked yeah. about we talked about Sloan Cast. Sloan Cast, okay, which yep. is uh, I'm I guess I guess that was on the in the in the theme of things you're doing with your kids, right? Or why did you mention? I, Sloan I don't know. Cast? Just, I think we talked about maybe podcasts, and I was yep. like, here's another podcast that I'm listening to that I really yep. enjoyed because it reminded me of you and I. It's yeah. two guys oh, right. just talking. Two guys just. Talking. I wonder if they've yeah. done episodes where they haven't recorded, and. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. Um, I, t- I talked about uh, uh, Chapo Trap House is going to be starting a new podcast called uh, what the heck is it called? I, I'm blanking on it. Something with oh, Hinge Point. Hinge Point. They talking about on Stitcher. It's not going to be on Stitcher, which is a good thing. A Hell of Presidents is on Stitcher. It's good, but I'm really excited to cancel my Stitcher premium subscription because Stitcher is garbage. I mean, why would I have another place, a different place where I can go to get my podcast that I can't get on my uh, overcast? That's just that's just idiocy. And so the new Hingecast is going to be on the Chapo Patreon. They're not going to charge anymore. You still have to be a Patreon member, which is well worth the money if you're if you're a committed uh, democratic socialist like me. Um, so so do that. Um, if you're if you're not, if you're a Republican, um, email Ben. <laughs> um, uh, and then, uh, and then we got to Jules Foods, and that's where we want to pick up. And that's where I think we should pick up. We should do this every week for all the people that don't like all the dithering and and, and nonsense before the food. I don't though. know. <laughs> I think that's part of the. That's, it's in the show. It's in the show. Except when it's not okay. in the show. Uh, okay. So so here's here's where we want to re- revisit something. And 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 again, for those who are listening to this this episode right now, it's not a revisit for you, but it's a revisit for Don and I. There, so one of the things that I absolutely love is every Wednesday morning I get really excited because I get a email from FDA. And let me read the email because I think it is important. Um, unless I've deleted it since the last time uh we we spoke. But the the email is is very, I mean, it's very form email. It's like you have mail from Food and Drug Administration. Your mail is um uh FDA weekly FDA warning letters. You are subscribed to FDA warning letters from the US Food and Drug Administration FDA. This information is recently being updated and is now available. And then I click on the link and I enjoy it. And normally, Don, it's like someone's trying to sell cigarettes at a with you know to kids and don't do that. Don't do that. Or 
you know, there might, there wait, might FDA, be. Wait, so FDA gets involved when someone is selling cigarettes to kids? I think so. I think that they mar- it's marketing. Like they're, because oh, they oh, label. Yes, because, yeah, because of the, like, well, but now what, when, why is that not Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms? Well, because there's a Family Smoking Prevention and Tobacco Control Act that FDA oh, is, in, FDA that is the overseas. Okay. And I only know that because I'm looking at the warning letters. Okay. So, so for instance, this is new. This is all new content. Um, the vape lounge incorporated got a warning letter because they, um, they were selling things that, that were deemed to be, uh, meeting the definition of a tobacco product. Uh, and they generally, they were not legally marketed in a way that was legal, I guess. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and if we, if this was tobacco safety talk, someone else would know more about this than, than we do. Um, well, the, here we go. Our review of the website, the vape lounge, 760.com revealed that you manufacture and offer for sale or distribution to customers in the United States, e-liquid products without marketing authorization order, including TVL vape sauce, get your vape sauce, grape Kool-Aid and TVL vape sauce, raspberry lemonade. The e-liquid products listed above are new tobacco products because they were not commercially marketed in the U.S. As of February 15th, 2007, these products do not have an FDA marketing authorization order in effect under the section and are not otherwise exempt from the marketing authorization requirement. So, yeah. So you can't sell, don't don't sell your vape sauce around here, Don. Um I'll take my vape sauce and go home. Yeah, go also. Can you, go put, can, you yeah. uh, can you send me a link to that? I, I will. Uh, so I can put it. It's now it's a little bit. I, we did fast forward through a bunch of the tabs, but now I'm we're kind of in the middle of the tabs, and so it's a little bit. It's a little bit. It's a little bit rocky here, but I think we'll get through this. It'll be fine. And it's you know what? This, this is this is how this is how we roll, and and we're doing we're doing this for the people because we did one earlier for us. Uh, <laughs> so. So then, then I get to the one that I really want to talk to you about, which is Jules Foods warning letter um, dated October 19th. Um, and uh, the recipient of this uh, is uh, Julie Van Dam, who is CEO of Jules Foods. And, and Dawn, this morning when I opened this up, I got really like, first of all, I was excited that there was a food thing here. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I opened this up and immediately in bold letters, one, two, three, four, five times in the first paragraph is the word salmonella. And, <laughs> and I think, whoa, what have I stumbled upon here? Because I didn't associate Jules Foods with anything until I started reading this. Um, and this, uh, the, uh, I will read this uh, directly from the letter. Dear Ms. Van Dam, the United States Food and Drug Administration inspected your ready-to-eat vegan cashew brie products manufacturing facility, and I'm in, right? Like, now I'm now I'm here for this content. Um, and the inspection was initiated as part of a salmonella multi-state outbreak investigation where the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's outbreak definition included six salmonella serotypes. And uh, I'll, let me list those for you right here, Don. Duesburg, Urbana, Leyden, Vinrati, Chester, Typhimerium. They got them all. And I'm going to make the same joke I made earlier. 
this is a full house. This is because the funny part about that is a full house is five cards and this is six MNL and zero. Oh, I missed that joke. See, this is why we redo the show. We redo the show. So are you, are um, you going to ask me how to pronounce any of the names? No, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead. I'm, I'm going to call it late. Oh, as you fine. Said, You're not going to let me make my joke. Fine. That's fine. I'm, I understand. I'm going to make it for you. Okay. So here's how it went <laughs> earlier. I wanted Don to, to list the, well, we'll do it again, Don. So how would you pronounce um, Salmonella laden A, if you were American, B, if you're of German descent, or C, if you were both. Or I don't know for sure that you are of German descent, but you have a German last name. So so go ahead. Salmonella what? Leiden Hosen. Leiden Hosen. <laughs> Not as funny the second time. It's still funny. It's still um, pretty good. So, so, yeah, so, so, so additional bonus content. Um, so yeah, so on my father's side, uh, German and French on my mother's side, uh, English and Irish. So yes, uh, that is the German, uh, shaft. It, you know, if you translate it, uh, from, uh, German, it means conductor. Oh, so let's go. just say the trains run on time. The trains run on time. Charge. <laughs> that's that's a Mussolini reference, which is a different fascist. Yeah the trains run on time twice a day or unless they don't or let's keep the trains running on time all of them uh so um yeah so we so we've got we got a whole bunch of salmonella here and but there's a lot of fun stuff in this and i i say that um facetiously see i'm still not speaking really great um but here's here's the deal 20 illnesses four states um and the the outbreak ended. It happened in in April and May, um, and the out, outbreak was declared over in July. Um, so four of the same salmonella serotypes, Urbana, Leidenhosen, Venerati, and Chester, were found in environmental swabs taken um, during an inspection. And so this is one of those times where we have like a whole bunch of um, it, it, it's like it's like a an outbreak home run where we've got and I'll I'll give you some details as we talk about this in a, in a second but we've got a bunch of a bunch of illnesses they were linked to products that had salmonella in them that was that was found by um, departments of health in investigating states then FDA went in and um and and, and took a bunch of environmental swabs and i'm going to read you a few of these because i think it's really like it's interesting to me and there's a bunch of learning points here so we've got um bullet point one salmonella laden or as it's known in the schaffner household um with the conductors salmonella laden hosen uh fda laboratory analysis of environmental sample 116501 collected on April 22nd confirmed one out of 51 environmental swabs collected was positive for salmonella laden. This is the part that I think is really, really interesting that I want to hear your thoughts on. The positive swab was collected from the from a top of a table that holds a mixer in a kit in a specific kitchen. This mixer is used to mix ingredients together during the manufacturing of the Rady Vegan Cashew Brie products after the fermentation process. You stated, not you, Don, um, but uh, I, I would guess that it's um, uh, Ms. Van Dam, uh, stated during the inspection that you do not regularly clean this table and do not know the cleaning frequency by others who, and this part I think is important, share the use of this kitchen. 
Your response states that you have sanitation operating procedures in place specific to cleaning and sanitizing the mixer and something else, which is redacted, um, as well as the table holding the mixer, but the sanitation operating procedures provi provided with your response only pertain to food contact surfaces. So, you know, here, here we go where there's, you know, FDA's come in, there's been illnesses, they're doing an inspection. What we've just learned by reading this, um, the, the, this uh, warning letter is that this is, food is being manufactured in a shared use kitchen where I'll, I'll just like quickly define that as multiple businesses, multiple food manufacturers are likely using the same equipment, same contact table or same, same prep tables, maybe same con food contact surfaces um, because they're, they are, um, they, you know, they're uh, fledgling, fledgling businesses. They're starting their business. They, they may not be making uh, enough product to build their own food manufacturing site. So they're, they're sharing use of a kitchen. And so I, I, I find this really like interesting because I don't know of many other, certainly I don't know of any other warning letters where a shared use facility or kitchen has been implicated or talked about. And I, and I certainly don't know any, um, uh, many other outbreaks. I'm going to talk about another outbreak in a second that we, that, uh, on this, but you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, so I, one thing I, I wanted to do when we were recording the first time, but I didn't is I knew we talked about this and we, yeah, so we did definitely talk about this outbreak without knowing the, the, the contents of the warning letter on episode four, uh, sorry, three, sorry, God, uh, I'm not good with numbers today, two, three, six, turning into a zombie. And so um, <clears throat> might be interesting to go back and listen to, yeah. listen to that. Is that right? Cashew cheese? Um. Yeah, yeah, outbreak investigation. Uh, well, and, and the and the initial thing is outbreak investigation for Salmonella Duisburg. Um, so maybe the outbreak expanded uh, as they begin to look into this stuff. So a couple couple of things about what you had to say. One thing, which we talked about before, um, and we made a plea to um, our, our listener, uh, Deep Fed, uh, to please send us a very short, no context message to explain the, the notation that FDA uses for redaction. And if you read the warning letter, every time FDA redacts something, they put in bold parentheses, lowercase b, close parentheses, parentheses, the number four, close parentheses. And that's a really weird thing that they do. <clears throat> now, this might be like um, uh, lead or, or TK or something. This may just be a way to check like, cause you want, you, I mean, I guess if you put redacted, then you can't search for the word redacted, but it's unlikely that, that, you know, B4 in parentheses is going to show up. So I, I would be very interested to, to hear more. Uh, and now that we'll actually probably put this episode out, um, we might actually get some feedback from Deep Feb. Um, but this is, um, this is a pretty, uh, this is pretty egregious, right? Like there's a lot of bad stuff going on. Multiple strains of salmonella. Again, uh, I reflected on other times when, like, you know, when there's multiple strains, there's probably something pretty bad went on. <clears throat> the other multiple strain, strain outbreak that comes to my mind is the Jensen Farm cantaloupe outbreak, where it was Listeria monocytogenes. And it was multiple types of Listeria monocytogenes, which again, was indicative of sort of gross, uh, failure of sanitation. So this is, uh, 
yeah, this is this is pretty bad. Um, and 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 I feel I feel kind of a little bit bad for um, Ms. Van Dam, but on the other hand, um, she should have known better, and she should have asked for help. Uh, I did make a joke. Uh, that our friend uh, Linda Harris uh, was her it was her job to fix this because uh, you know the company's based in California, um, but of course Linda you know doesn't can't fix problems that she doesn't know about. I'm sure that if Julie did contact her, Linda was would be would have been happy to give her advice. Um, but yeah, this is a uh, this is pretty bad, and it and it sh and I think it shows that like there's a real need here for people like this, like people like this really should not be able to get into the food business so easily, right? And there, and there again, and that you we go on through the letter and we see multiple, multiple other problems. Um, and it looks like, and we, we talked a little bit about lawsuits and and it doesn't look like Marler is representing anybody here. We I did a little, we did a little bit of digging into the places. Well, number one, the business is still operational because you can go to the website and apparently put cheese in your cart and buy it, right? Or, or quote unquote cashew cheese and buy it, which I'm sort of tempted to do just to see what happens. And then maybe take it to the lab and test it. Um, but um, what was my other point? Um, it's, you know, this, this just shows how even a small person, you know, making a, a small business, selling a product that isn't following the appropriate preventive controls can really really cause a pretty big outbreak. I don't know if there's any deaths, but there's multiple cases, multiple cases that we know about, right? And if right. we factor in the un underreporting, there's probably dozens and dozens. Well, there already were dozens of people made sick, but but probably maybe even a hundred people that were that were sickened by this, you know, and and in many cases unreported. So yeah, this is a, this is this is bad. Well, and there's and there's a whole bunch of, of stuff I want to like want to keep talking about on this because I think this is a it's a real like example to be used in teaching about regulation you know related to fisma and and i actually got some feedback on um on twitter from um some some folks after i posted about this earlier this morning um you know this is there's a lot of language in here that that is about sort of qualified exemption and, and qualified facilities. So, so essentially what, what I can read between the lines here is we've got a shared use facility, a business that's working out of it. So, and one of the things that we haven't talked about yet is how do people get this product? Well, it's not through major retailers. It's it, the, if you go through the um, outbreak investigation, the illnesses were found from, you know, the distribution was across the U S but it was at independent grocery stores. Um, and so, um, you know, the, 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 the whole market for this product, I think is staying out of the large grocery stores. It's, it's a, it's a niche product. It's let's find artisanal or artisanal grocery stores to sell our artisanal, um, cashew cheese. And, and so the buyer, or uh, I should say the, the, um, supplier requirements that might be put in place by, you know, Joe's local grocery store or, you know, whatever, you know, downtown Raleigh, fancy foods, grocery store, you know, um, just making that up that they may not be looking at Jules foods and saying, okay, are you following preventive controls? Or do you, what, like, tell us about food safety that's happening. And the wording in the, it, it, like in this warning letter really makes me think that this is 
a business that was operating at, with a qualified exemption to FISMA, meaning they they were not be, they they weren't um they, they weren't required to do everything that the law requires uh because they were a small producer and i think well yeah they, right? they, they, they weren't required to do anything the law requires of a larger company yes yeah right. of a larger company yes um and so there so because there's a part of this warning letter that says Modified requirements for qualified facilities, subpart D. Your facility meets the definition of a qualified facility. Um, and then there is uh, subject to modified requirements. And those modified requirements are you have to make an at two attestations. Attest yeah. One is that you are, you know, following these modified requirements. And the second is a really interesting one. And it's it's sort of two choices. One is an attestation that you have identified potential hazards associated with the food being produced are implementing preventive controls to address the hazards and are monitoring the performance of the preventive controls to ensure such controls are, are effective or that the facility is in compliance with state, local, county, tribal, or other applicable non-federal food safety laws. And, and what the warning letter says is to date, you have not submitted such attestation. Also, they, they're required to say that they are a qualified facility that are, that is seeking these modified requirements. And they only submitted that attestation after this investigation started. So it's like a, a business like this has, has kind of slipped, slipped through the cracks a little bit, not, and I, I don't want to make it sound like slipped through the regulatory cracks because the regulators don't know, you know, we've talked about this in other episodes, how do regulators find food that's sold on Facebook? We in fact talked about this in the last episode. Well, they have to look for it on Facebook. So how right. would someone find this as a regulator? Well, the way that the law takes care of it is that this business, it's on, it's up to them to inform you got to make this attestation to FDA that you're doing this, that you're right, right. like that you're, you're using these modified requirements. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and then, this, yeah. you know, I, I'm very interested. I did a little bit of Google um, map search for the address and to try to figure out the shared kitchen. And, you know, it's just like FDA just can't even go to the shared kitchen because that shared kitchen could be being used for things that are, like they're like a restaurant or something, right? Yep. Like, like I've shared a story where, again, an FDA colleague of ours contacted me about a company that was based in New Jersey and said, can you go talk to this person? You know, we think that they may be making cashew cheese that might make somebody sick. Um, and I did visit her. And, and again, I shared in the unrecorded version that the way she was fermenting this cashew cheese was she was adding, she was going to the health food store and buying probiotics. <clears throat> and mixing the probiotics with the cashew cheese, no idea whether a fermentation was taking place, spoiler alert, no fermentation was taking place based on the pH of the product. You know, this, uh, Julie may have been doing something similar, right? And so, um, you know, and, and so FDA, the, one of the only ways FDA could find out about this would be through an outbreak. Now, it might also happen that a state public health person could take a food sample and find salmonella, right? In which case that would eventually get reported up the chain and go back. Um, but, but FDA isn't necessarily walking into these facilities because FDA doesn't necessarily know that they exist, right? And so, but this, is this information on this exemption is really, really helpful because I'm actually meeting with a company uh, next week, um, who, somebody who is a uh, 
agricultural producer who is looking to get into the food business. And he's like, I need to know what I need to know. And so this actually, this text from this warning letter is really helpful because what it says is he needs to file with the FDA. And then I think the strategy is file an attestation that he's in compliance with New Jersey state law. And then I've got right. to figure out what the food manufacturing laws are for the state of New Jersey, which are way less cumbersome than getting in compliance with FISMA and preventive controls. On the other hand, I'm also going to recommend that he probably go for preventive control training just to put a little bit of fear in him. Now, the food that he's making is a frozen food with just a few ingredients. And so it's not super risky. Um, it's not like making cashew cheese, which I don't know. I would be really, if somebody came to me and said, like, again, the, the woman that I, that I helped out in New Jersey, she was making a bunch of different raw food products, including raw kale chips. And I'm like, yeah, keep making those kale chips. That's a good low risk thing. She was drying kale chips at a low temperature because otherwise it doesn't meet the definition of raw. Um, and so she couldn't pasteurize her cashew cheese because then it wouldn't be a quote unquote raw food, which is, you know, the demographic that, that, she, that she's targeting. And so I think I, I successfully talked her out of the cashew cheese business. Um, but yeah, but and she was making the food in a, in a church kitchen. So FDA never would have would have found her again, unless obviously they did, though. They found her, I guess, because they, they got retail samples. So anyway, interesting times. Yeah. So and a few more things I want to want to kind of yeah. add to this one one part here um, that, that's in the warning letter is, OK, so you've had, you know, we, we, we ran down there was a bunch of environmental samples. There was also um, a bunch of products that was either take, you know, that had specific salmonella, um, you know, one of these six. Uh, or I guess, yeah, nothing had multiple in the product, but at least one of one of the six um, serotypes. But during the investigation, they also found um, Salmonella urbana on two intact samples of incoming raw organic cashew pieces. And so that, you know, I, it's, it's one of these, like I said earlier, this home run of we have incoming product contamination, the process um what you know wasn't controlling it the there it's clearly must have been some cross-contamination potential or sanitation issues because the environmental sampling a month afterwards showed the presence of one of the outbreak strains there um and then a whole bunch of finished product samples both on site or um you know one that was like age undergoing aging at the facility or were sampled in commerce in uh, both Tennessee and, and California. So there's like a lot going on that, that leads to this. But I think the most important part for me on this, it, well, I don't know, there's lots of important parts, but the, maybe a part that I want you to also talk to the person that you're going to talk to about is, yeah, you might have a qualified facility exemption today, but all of that goes away if you're under investigation for a foodborne illness. And in fact, that's what the warning letter says. FDA may withdraw your qualified facility exemption in the event of an active investigation of foodborne illness uh, outbreak is directly linked to your facility or FDA determines that it's necessary to protect public health. And, and so they basically said, you, you're not doing everything and you've got 15 days to respond to us um, on this. And and we'll we'll make you follow all of FISMA, which you know that on top of 
like trying to do that within a shared use facility, I think is really hard, but that on top of having 20 illnesses linked to your product, that probably puts a business like this out of business, right? Like it's, I think it's, and, and I don't know, like here, you know, I don't want to put too much value uh, judgment on this conversation, but it seems like this, this business needs to do more for food safety, right? Like it's, they, they weren't, um, they didn't have a proper certificate of analysis for the incoming cashews that they were using. There's sanitation problems. They don't know how often certain types of um, uh, equipment in their facility are clean and sanitized because they don't have control over it. All that kind of stuff kind of starts to make the case that, man, there's a lot of food safety issues going on here. Yeah. Um, So something I want to highlight here, Don, I mentioned earlier that this is, it's the first time that I've seen a warning letter that that talks about a shared use facility. It's not the first outbreak I know of at a shared use facility. Um, and we, we've talked a little bit about this outbreak before. It goes back almost 10 years. Um, but the, there was a, a tempeh product yep. similar, like a fermented <laughs> soybean product that was unpasteurized, led to an outbreak in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, and it was linked to a company called Smiling Hera Tempeh. But that food was at the time, and I don't know if it still was, being made at Blue Ridge Food Ventures, which is a shared use production facility um, just outside of Asheville. And that company, and I, you know, I, I want to read from a statement they put out because I think it's really like it give it should give our listeners and folks who are in the food safety world who aren't dealing with these types of facilities a better understanding. So they, they write in their statement 10 years ago, this is the first time in our six and a half year history that there's been a food contamination issue among the businesses that use our facility. Blue Ridge Food Ventures was inspected on March 8th um, by the Department of Health and it earned a sanitation rating of 99.5 out of 100, which is fine, but now we're talking about food manufacturing. It's a different set of laws. Um, but the next paragraph is, I, I think, interesting. About 20 small local food production companies rent time and industrial kitchen space at Blue Ridge Food Ventures during any given month. Each of these businesses is its own legal entity and operates independent of Blue Ridge Food Ventures. Each business is inspected by the regulatory agency relevant to its product and has its own food production and safety plans. Blue Ridge Food Ventures has strict safety protocols in place for the use of our physical facility and equipment. One of those policies requires all facility users to sanitize the kitchen and equipment before and after production. So like, I just wanted to highlight that that's, you know, you may have 20 or so different groups using the same facility over the course of a month, cleaning and sanitizing between each use is complicated right? Like it's who, who, who manages that? How do you know if business one is going to do a good job? If you're business two, that's coming in to use that, that facility. And I think that the warning letter from Jules food, I'll go back exactly to say what, um, what was said here about this. Um, Cause I, I you know, I'm just going to reread it. You stated during the inspection process that you do not you do not regularly clean this table and do not know the cleaning frequency by others who share the use of this kitchen. That's the trade-off, right? If you don't have your own facility, you don't have control and you don't know. And that, you know, I don't know if that's part of this. I don't know, or we don't know if that's part of this outbreak or not, but I think that's an important 
conversation point to have with small businesses who are using shared use facilities. Yeah, and I'm so I'm just <clears throat> just did a Google search on the address and three businesses come up. Uh, one is something called Homescapes Home Staging, uh, but they're in a different suite of this business, and obviously they're 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 basically uh, just a business that. Um, what is it they say? They, they uh, provide custom customized staging that understands your target buyer. So I guess like, I guess, oh, I can, all right. So they stage homes for quick sale. So they'll, they'll come in and make your house look nice so you can sell it, right? So, but they're in a different suite. And then there's two that are, seem to be one, one that's definitely in the same suite. It's a company called Food Made Fresh. And then there's another one which has an un, does not have an identified suite, uh, which is called oh no, the, which no sorry does has the same suite, uh, the sandwich spot. And so obviously those two are making uh, are making food, and they're in they're in this at least somewhere in this same suite. And so potentially with uh, cross contamination. So yeah, this you know the shared use. So I we just alluded to it, but that those two businesses that you mentioned might be. Um, regulated by a different body right then right. right like like then then jules food as well you know you may have um the uh, gmps fisma and all the exemptions and qualified exemptions that come come with that uh for a, a manufactured food but but a sandwich stop or sandwich shop say, what was it called sandwich stop like sandwich spot spot they they maybe and again just guessing might be regulated as by the local health department as a kind of like a restaurant or a catering um facility depending on yeah, exactly how they're packaging i'm, and I'm, I'm, ge yeah. I'm guessing both of these food made fresh better eating handcrafted and delivered and yep. sandwich spot are both regulated under a different regulation so that even that confuses things right like oh and, sure and and i i don't know if you get this when you're talking to um, to stakeholders in in um, you know, in New Jersey or, or elsewhere, but I, I certainly get this every once in a while, where someone's like, I'm going to use a commercial kitchen to make this food. And, and what I want to know is, what does that mean? Right? Like they, they're using that term thinking that has a, that means something to me, right? Like that, that means it's regulated by this person or, or other foods are made in there that, that are safe, but it, it doesn't, it just because it says that doesn't mean really anything. Like I can call anything a commercial kitchen. Well, I, I think, I think in New Jersey, it basically it used to mean you have a triple sink because that was always that, the yeah. thing that we, we couldn't, you can't have, you can't do make food in your home because you probably don't have a triple sink in your home. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and I think that it's, it's a, um, it's, it's one of these things where it has become a, a term that we use, but regulatorily, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything. And it, and it could mean lots of different things, depending on the type of food or manufacturing or catering that's happening there on how that's going to be regulated. So I, I think people get really caught up in, oh, I've got the right facility to do this food. But what, what you really want to know is not just I have the right facility, but what's happening before and after I use this, you know, make my food. And how am I looking at my, you know, in this case, my incoming raw cashews, my fermentation process, my cleaning and sanitizing, all of that is what, you know, what appears to be factors in this outbreak, not that they were using a commercial kitchen, you know, you know what I mean? Like, right. It's not, it's, it's not as simple as that. Um, so 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think that this is like one of those I've, I've already, we're, we're constructing some educational courses around food safety culture right now, Don. And I, after reading about this this morning, I already sent this to the team that's working on that project and, and said, we need to include this. Like this is a, it highlights so many things from a regulatory standpoint, what, like what makes for a good food safety culture in Jules foods? Well, first of all, knowing that they should be you know, uh, making these attestations or not, that matters. Having the right types of supplier verification or even supplier requirements in, in case or in, uh, in place for their um, incoming cashews, that matters. Um, and then just this idea of like messy shared use facility. Like, and I say messy, not not from a food safety standpoint, although it appears to be from the you know, the environmental swabbing and salmonella positives, but just that it's it's complicated. Um, one well, thing before we leave, that, so, oh, yeah. and so so let's so let's just like let's let me ask you a question. So, yeah. is this like a how, how did I not really how did this happen? I sort of, I sort of it's a question between how did this happen. And whose fault is it? Yeah. And how can we fix it? Right. Like, yeah. so it's not really any of those things, but maybe it's all of those things. Right. Like, I mean, I jokingly said, oh, it's Linda Harris's fault. Right. Well, maybe it's maybe it's Julie's fault because Julie didn't do her due diligence. Well, but but how how would she find out? And again, I have a, a huge amount of um, sympathy for these folks in, in part because how would you know? How would you know what the rules are you have to follow? You know, yeah. and so, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, she's boy, I think she's probably wishing that she didn't have this happen to her, um, you know, and I'm wondering about the folks from the sandwich spot and food made fresh. Were their businesses impacted? I've got to think they were. Again, it looks like uh, Jules is still in business based on her website. It looks like these other companies are still in business based on their websites. Um I, I really, I want, I want to know so much more. I mean, the, the, the FDA warning letter tells a certain story, but, but boy, I, I, I really, I wouldn't, I want to learn so much more about this. Yeah. And so it, it, and you're, you bring up a really good point. And it, it, so I, the, there's another group that I think is part of this, you know, let's, let's not call it fault, but let's say that they're respond they're, they're in the responsibility circle. Right. And that's the company that runs the, the facility, whether that's one of the other two businesses, Foods Made Fresh or Sandwich Stop, maybe they're opening up their kitchen to try to make ends meet because of rent and they're not using it all the time or that there's another, it's like Blue Ridge Food Ventures, the, the one I mentioned here in North Carolina, where their entire business model is let's build a facility, bring in equipment and then rent out space to people. But I, I think that they are, they are in the responsibility circle here. They, they, because if, if you know that someone's using your facility, you also want to know that they're doing so in a way that is legal, right? And it's not your, you're not liable for it. You're not, you're not the one, you're not the legal entity that's responsible, but similar to like, I don't know, um, I'll, I'll give you like an analogy from my, you know, my, my non-food safety life and coaching hockey. I, there, there are, there are USA hockey rules that, that are necessary for us to follow, to keep our rosters and our coaches legal, like to be, you know, not, not 
you know, but like within compliance with, with the rules. And it's, it's kind of my job in the organization that I coach for their job to make sure that we're doing the right thing. They don't, no one, no one owes us anything. No one owns the product. No one's paying for anything, but, but it's, it's the community's responsibility to make sure everybody's doing it correctly. And, and because the reputation of the whole, it could be spoiled by something bad that happens with one of the individuals or one of the parties that's that, that's using this this facility. So I think they're part of this. I think that the the regulator that goes into that facility and sees these other businesses um, asking questions, you know, like, oh, it looks like there's some cashew cheese that's being made here. Where, where does that fit into the to the rules? Like, yeah, I, and again, we're I'm I'm doing a lot of speculation on maybe that did happen. Maybe this is all part of the the conversation that that might come out in in the lawsuits if if any uh, exist. But I but I think the you know I I think your point of how does the business know that they're not compliant with the law if they didn't know that the law was there in the first place, right? Like that's that's a that's a really hard question to answer like like the, the the business should know well what if they don't know right like how do we get them that information where do they even know to where to start is it um i don't know i think you're right you answer you ask a really good question hey so in more information about about jules foods um uh ben i think people are asking uh where's the brie uh if you go to the fact page oh. uh, where is the brie uh, we missed the Brie too. However, we have decided to pause the Brie program at this time. There are several reasons for this. Making veg vegan Brie is very labor intensive. Two, we need a dedicated facility in order to make the Brie. The price to build out a space and buy the lean equipment is more than we can justify at this time. Mm. So they have stopped making the Brie. Now they're still making other products, right? Um, but they're just not making the Brie. Wow. They're making French onion dip. They're making uh, cashew gouda wheel. They're making classic. Wait a minute now. They're making classic cashew brie. You can't I, get I the... put that in my cart to buy it. You try, yeah. But are they, But maybe, maybe if you tried to to Actually, get out, it, you wouldn't get it. it. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So very, it's a you know whatever. This is uh, hmm, it's interesting. Very um, interesting. It is. Uh, Let's see if this if if this gets if the plot thickens. No, I was I, now I'm now I'm just googling like people named Julie Van Dam in California and finding <laughs> other people, but I I don't think it's the same person. So, so well, if you click on the about us on their website, you can see a picture of Julie, yes. and, and you'll learn. Did you see this? Did you see that uh, she? Uh, was diagnosed with uh, stage four colorectal cancer. I did. I saw that, which yeah. is not, that's not good. It's not, good. not good. No, two surgeries and chemotherapy. She feel, she felt that she needed to make her change to her food choices. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So man, I, anyway, I've, I, I'm, I am certain Dawn, certain that, that Jules foods didn't know that we would go into a deep dive on this. <laughs> Like, I don't know if this will ever get to them um, or not. I mean, we'll, we'll certainly link to, to this in show notes and sometimes people follow up, but I'm, I'm, I, I, I want to know, I want to know how this story ends, right? Like, I want to yeah. know what, what changes, what, like, like asking 
the question that you asked, like, how did you, and, and again, like putting ourselves into the position of the small business, we know that there's a rule around this. How do we expect the small business to know that there's a rule around it? And what does that look like? And and why why did, why didn't they know? I'd much rather like I'd like to hear the answer to that, and not in a I don't know, not in a kind of jerky kind of way. I actually want to hear the want I want to hear the end of the story. I'll I'll tell you just as a total aside. And this is again, it's all new content now because because we haven't talked about this. But I had a call from from someone who you know who who I know. Um, who I'm not going to opsec um, at all because I get these calls every once in a while. But I had a call last night about someone who part of their job is to figure out what happens in outbreaks and then to follow up on that and to like have some re- resolution for people at the end of it. <laughs> does, that, does that make sense? Do you know, you yeah, yeah. know, yeah. And so, so this person gave me a call and said, "Hey, you, you, you gave me some info." And, and help me out on one of these, these things, these, one of these outbreaks. And I just want to tell you more about it because there it's, it's really interesting. And we had a lovely 45 minute talk about new information about an outbreak that I didn't know how it was all resolving. And it is, it's fascinating. So anyway, the, it's always kind of been one of my, one of my dreams to make another podcast. Oh, and in a second, we're going to talk about us making new podcasts. Um, but to make a, you know, these deep, we do a lot of deep dives on food safety talk, but to tell the whole story of an outbreak over the course of a, of, of a pot of an episode that includes like following up with, with Jewel, with, with Julie Van Dam and, and Jules foods, where are they now? Two years from now, what happened? What is the interview about this? You know, what, tell, tell us about what you learned and, and are you still a business and, and yeah. what, what was this all like? I, I think that would be fascinating listening or reading. Um, but you know, again, that's, uh, I'm, we make things for us, not for, for others. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and I, you know, the, this story makes me think of Jack, uh, Jack in the box yep. and, uh, Dave Fino, right. Like who is the guy that came in after Jack in the box kind of got important, you know, you know, got real about fixing problems. Um, and, and of course Dave sadly, uh, passed away, but, but I mean, the, the idea that a company can, you know, you're talking about food safety culture, right? So a, a company can, um, after an incident like this, uh, make a change. Now I don't, I don't see real evidence of that change on the Jules food website. All I see is that they're not making brie, right? I don't see that they had a, a come to you know, Jesus moment about food safety, right? Come to right, food safety right. culture moment. I don't see that at all. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, I think there's, there's, if there are listeners in the, in the podcast space out there who want to make another podcast about telling the full stories of outbreaks, I think that there's space for it. Um, any, is was there anything else that we wanted to talk about uh, as it relates to this, this, well, well, I actually, there's one other thing and this goes, kind of goes back to how the outbreak was found. And I think that we, we, we should talk a little bit about this. So this, this comes from the, um, outbreak investigation website, Don. So I think we probably have this in show notes, but I'll send it to you, um, right now. Anyway, um, CDC identified the outbreak of five seminal Duesburg illnesses and put a pin in that because we're going to come back to it, which is considered a rare salmonella serotype. 
All samples were taken from ill patients and are highly related according to whole genome sequencing analysis or DNA fingerprinting. Of the five people interviewed, three of them reported eating specifically Jules truffle cashew brie. That was the only common product identified. So the, the, the thing that I think was really interesting about that is if we go look, look at the, the warning letter and the investigation information, Salmonella Duesberg was the source, well, was what identified the outbreak, but Salmonella Duesberg was not found, at least according to, to, to the warning letter, on site. Five other, well, sorry, four other serotypes were. Vinrati, Chester, Urbana, and Leyden. So, and then it mentions that the outbreak also included Typhimerium and Duisburg. So, so even here, like this is the confusing part of, of an outbreak, you know, you, you've got the initial um, epidemiology points to one serotype, but, but in this case, like you mentioned earlier, there's a lot going on at the site, multiple serotypes, probably all coming Again, speculation that'll probably get us in trouble with our friend, Linda Harris. My guess, Don, probably all coming from raw cashews initially get deposited in this facility and through the process. And then there's a bunch of, maybe a bunch of raw cashew um, contamination issues with all these other serotypes, but it was the Duesberg that was linked to the initial illnesses. And then once FDA goes in and does their investigation, they find a whole bunch of other salmonella. I find that fascinating here, right? Like I, I think that that's that's that is like you said, similar to Jensen Farms, but it's dissimilar to many of the other outbreaks that we follow. And I think that's I think that's interesting. Um, it's re it's really unusual. I was I was unmute. It's it's really yeah. unusual to have so many um, strains. The other thing too, again, just in sort of trying to put the pieces together, um, the full list of stores for the recall is no longer on the Jules Food website. Um, but based on where they they tell you you can buy their product, and based on the original list of the grocery stores where people the, where the products were distributed, I would say that their business has contracted rather huh. significantly. Huh. Huh. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. For what oh, that's worth. Then I'll, I'll get, I'll try uh, doing a little bit of searching here on the um, Wayback Machine to see if I can find um, uh, the old website that had the list of the recalled products. Yeah. All right. Well, the last thing I will, I will say um, is that um, a friend, a friend of ours from the internet um, who, I'm, he's a, I'm going to read from his, his bio, public health practitioner and HPM doctoral student at Johns Hopkins, for, former biochemist, legal epidemiology, but neither laurel, lawyer or nor epi, tweets are solely mine. He, he lives in the Washington, D.C. area. He wrote in response to my tweet, I think we've fin we're finally arriving to the meaningful part of the preventative control rule era. And I agree because this is so much of what we see here is, is, is so much in line with all the things that we've talked about over the last decade related to FISMA and the prevent and control rule. So, excuse me, I need to drink some water because uh, my mouth got real dry. So, um, 
Let's do some follow-up because sure. we promised we promised the listeners to do follow-up and we did some follow-up that, that was recorded that was not recorded, but I think we need to do it. So first one I want to talk about, Don, and I'll do this in a probably a totally different order than than our pre-show, um, which is what I'm gonna call the one that we didn't record. <laughs> um we we got some follow-up uh from listener to the show, listener to risky or not, Jennifer. And Jennifer writes that this is feedback about an episode. It's related to flower fight. Um, she says, I know this is a food safety podcast, but just to clarify about the flower fight, flower dust is extremely flammable on a fire risk, fire hazard risk assessment. A flower fight would be inadvisable, especially if done while cooking or near open flames. So this is in, uh, in relation to uh, a risky or not episode that we talked about a very romantic to some flower fight that happened on a Netflix show. Yeah, and I'm just I'm just Googling um, flower explosion homes because I know, yeah, flower ex- explosions in home kitchens are very rare um, and cooks should not let the fear of fire discourage them from baking or keeping flour in the home. Yes, I think that's probably true. Um, and, and most of the outbreaks that I have, or most of the outbreaks, most of the issues I've seen have happened in factories. And apparently the same thing can happen in um, sugar refineries as well. And it's really just something about, um, you know, about the, uh, uh, the, the, the having that, uh, that in the air. But yeah, I, and I, I do really do appreciate the listener feedback, not telling us that we answered wrong right? Like saying, well, obviously it's, you, you should have told people that you can't mail alcohol, right? <laughs> so I do. And I did, I did vaguely know that uh, flour and sugar are flammable. Uh, and so I do, I do want to thank, uh, I do want to thank the, the tweeter for the, uh, for the information. So. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. And, and I think I want to, I want to highlight um, two things. One is I know that I, uh, um, after you you told me earlier today that I was risky on on this uh, flower fight, oh, um, you're happy. I was yes, yes, but also not for this reason. But I will add this to my list, and that uh, you gave an example in that episode about flower fights happening um, at uh, Boy Scout campfires, which uh, I was it, like was four four H camp, but yes, wh- whatever, what, yeah, yeah, whatever, <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. I, I guess that does matter, but four H camp, but but that that seems like that would be. It, highly inadv- unadvisable, inadvisable because it's around an actual, you know, open uh, flame. So, so don't, don't maybe don't have f- flower fights around your campfire. Well, yeah, but, but it's also outdoors. I think part of what makes it risky is the, con- is the contained space. Right. And we did, and again, not, not because it, like, well, we've, it's never happened before. Like we had a flower fight and nothing exploded. Now I kind of want to go see if I can make a flower explosion. Oh, and I did in one of the, not really, well, maybe a little bit. Um, one of the, one of the things in the Google search is uh, whole survival home defense, how to make a flower bomb. I don't Should we link to this? Is it sure. dangerous? No, I think that's fine. Do, do so at your own risk. We'll click on the link at your own risk. Um, yeah. Kids, if you're listening to this show, um, because you're a huge food safety nerd, ask your parents if it's okay to click on your flower on the flower bomb link. I think it's yeah, kids, kids, ask your parents before you go making a flower bomb, make sure yeah. it's okay with them. Just check, check with them. Yeah. See if it's okay. I, I, had, I had friends in high school used to make pipe bombs there. Yeah. Oh, I that's think everybody a, lived. Yeah. That, that sounds like a bad idea. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> yes. It is a bad idea. Uh, so next, next piece of, uh, follow-up that I wanted to talk about is, uh, that, and I think you put this in our, 
um, in our list for, for discussion. But this is follow-up on, on two accounts. One is we talked in a previous episode of Food Safety Talk about um, metallic uh, cake de decorating. Maybe it was a risk or not, actually, but I, I remember doing it and it was, you know, um, could you there are not intended for consumption cake decorating balls and sprinkles and things like that. Um, and so anyway, there was uh, an actual set of toxic metal poisonings in Rhode Island and Missouri in 2018 and 2019 that were linked to um, commercially and home prepared cakes that used luster dusts which were found to have high levels of copper, lead, and other materials. Um, and those are luster dusts, not duster lust, which is a different thing, I think, though is for another show. Yeah, I, I know we talked about this, and I cannot find it in uh, either the Risky or Not or the Food Safety Talk website, but it's it's there. It's there somewhere. We talked about people making baked goods that had, like, I guess sprinkles, right, or 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 some sort of metal. There are things there are things that you are you can buy in grocery stores that are made of metal that you shouldn't put on food. I found it. I found it. Oh, okay. All right. Excellent. Food, Thank you. Yep. Food safety talk 142. I know that this is the episode that we talked about it on because the episode title is silver balls. Okay, uh, excellent. Yep. How and, did I not find that before? I don't know. Maybe you, you might've been looking for sprinkles. I, yeah, probably. I Google, here's how I Googled it. Schaffner metallic balls, <laughs> risky or not. <laughs> and and it was number three. It was I, number three on the list. Silver I, do, balls. I do. I do want to point out that, as far as I know, I do not have metallic balls. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good, so good. Um, so uh, yeah, and this was uh, there is a discussion of raw milk and cookies, uh, the local New Jersey edition, topped with silver sprinkles. That was the the episode notes. This is, goes back to 2017. Uh, Safety Talk 142. Uh, so yeah, anyway, but, but, it, you know, so here's a situation where there's a dusts from, you know, not, not flower dust, but dust from, uh, that, that's being used in cake decorating. So luster dust, food decorating products known as luster dust, widely used on cakes and candy. Um, next, uh, next one I want to, uh, to, for us to go to is something that came to us from a friend of the show, friend of ours, um, Adam, uh, Adam uh, Inman, who is uh, a regulator. I think he's with the Kansas Department of Agriculture, the Kansas Department of Health. Uh, but he, he writes to us, um, you may remember me from episode 200 of Food Safety Talk and our work together on the AFTO TCS or not TCS, that is the question session this year, which I want to point out, Don, I was not able to attend even though I had signed up to present uh, because I was uh, interviewing for my current role as department head at the exact time that this session was on. Um, Adam writes, I'm enjoying Risk or Not podcast, though I don't catch as much as many as I would like. In the frisky flower fight episode, Don mentioned something to the effect that it just occurred to him that risk is not binary. This got me thinking that it would be fun for us to develop, and he said fun for you to develop, a Schaffner-Chapman assessment of risk scale, which could leave a mark. People would appreciate the benchmarks like watching TV on your sofa, driving to the grocery store, and skydiving. skydiving. And so I think 
I, you know, I'll, I'll let me let me lay out. I think that the data exists for someone else, a listener, to make this because we've now done 250 episodes or something like that, 249 episodes of Food Safety Talk, and then another 200 and oh gosh, 50 or so. No, maybe not quite that many. 220. Um, episodes where we explicitly zero in on our risky or not thresholds. And so someone could just take that data and define a risk like scale without us actually having to do the analysis on it. Someone else should do it. Um, and yeah. And I, I, I was looking for the, this document before and I still can't find it, but there is an article um, that was published in the journal risk analysis, which I recent, it's an older article. It's from the early nineties, um, basically looking at the cost to save a life. Um, and it is a really interesting uh, article that is sort of a regulatory critique that our regulations are not equal because in some cases we're spending a whole lot of money to avoid a, a, a life lost uh, or yeah, a life lost versus other situations where it actually, you can spend like it, it, it's, you can, you can spend like, it, like you can spend like it, it actually, you actually save money, right. By, by, by spending this money on, on, right. on life-saving prevention. And I wish I'm not explaining it very well. And I, I don't understand why I can't find the article. I must be misremembering some details of it, but uh, yeah. So it's uh Anyway, it's a, it's, it's a good article. I'm going to try to find it for sure. And, and so there's kind of a scale out there on run risk, right? Oh, like, absolutely. Yeah. 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 But our scale would be, I, I, like I, like I said, I think we should, someone should do the analysis and populate it so they could predict whether like in, in Adam's point, he wants to know whether we think that it, that it's like the, on the continuum of risk, where is sitting on the couch <laughs> versus, um, you know, skydiving. And I, I think that, well, but here's the thing. If you sit on the couch, does that mean that you're not going for a run later? Right. Right. These are all things that matter or driving to the grocery store. What is it? What, what are you driving? Where are you driving? What are you going to buy at that grocery store? All of those things will have to play into this risk calculation. It gets very complicated. I think but someone else can do the work to try and figure it out. And then we'll see if it's predict a predictable model. Um, what would be really interesting is for, or maybe not interesting, but funny would be for us to load our risky or not episodes into an AI machine learning oh, generator yes. to see if an episode would get spit out. And what, first of all, what the topic would be and what, where you and I would like arrive at. Wouldn't that, would that be kind of someone, maybe if someone is in machine learning, someone could do that for us as well. Well, you know, there is, we have talked about, there's a very, very wonderful and talented woman that does AI type stuff. Uh, and lately she's been fiddling around with doing stuff for um, uh, images, like, like make an image of something. Uh, and uh, it's, yeah, well, I'll find, again, I'll find that for, for show notes. She has a wonderful newsletter, highly recommended. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe, maybe someone, out there um, could, uh, could could figure figure this out for us. Sorry, I just saw a very funny tweet that I'm gonna read with zero context, but I'm gonna give you a little context. So Don, there's this uh, NFL player, th there's someone you and I both follow, just tweeted something funny. Um, there's an NFL player, Aaron Rodgers, who's, who plays in the sports ball. He ha has been considered to be non, 
um, vaccinated for the focus of the NFL this year. And um, he's just tested positive for COVID-19, which is not newsworthy. But um, In The Fade, who we both love on the internet, mm-hmm. um, just tweeted, Aaron Rodgers probably snorted some turmeric and considered himself immune, which made me laugh. Yeah, no, In The Fade. Good, good, good public public safety, public health content. Always well good, always good. Um, okay, so more follow-up um, for, for us. Um, where should we go? How far do we get? We talked about free-range chickens. Let's talk about this again. Yeah. Yeah, why don't you take this from Bruce? Yes. So, so Bruce, let me get over to the right window here. So Bruce sends us... Uh, You'd think it would be easier having having already done this once today. No, it's a different um, show now, Don. We're doing a different yeah, show. It is, it is. It is. Um, Dropbox podcast. Food safety talk next. Uh, Bruce. It is uh, hard to find. It is entitled "Eggs from Free Age Chickens: Risky or Not." So Bruce, do you yeah, want to- Okay, yeah, no, it? I got it. Sorry, I'm, you threw it to me and I was not ready. So uh, Bruce says, uh, good afternoon, Dr. Don, Professor Ben. I came across this quote, uh, and this is all a direct quote, in relation to food safety as having been evidenced by the number of salmonella outbreaks linked to backyard poultry, free range eggs have a higher likelihood of exposure to hazardous microbes, such as salmonella and E. coli, often attributed to lack of management practices, with these facilities, it poses risk to human health. Chance of being exposed to the foodborne disease pathogens is more likely in a free-range system. Thus, the authors, the study authors state, it is for this reason we must be vigilant regarding our egg handling practices, especially in free-range systems where the risk of salmonella exposure is significantly higher. Um, yeah, so th- those that text comes from a blog post on the Atchison Group. If you find that link, uh, if you find that that post on the Atchison Group, uh, there's two there's two links that are embedded in that text. One is about salmonella outbreaks, right? Um, uh, which which talks about you know salmonella outbreaks, and the second one is a link to a article on a University of Massachusetts blog that is for a writing course for. Um, juniors, uh, for, for college juniors. And there is a statement in that blog post that reads, the eggs coming from free range production systems have a much higher incidence of microbial contamination than that of eggs coming from conventional cage production systems. The differences in management practices between free range and conventional cage systems cause a large part of this disparity between eggshell microbial counts according to Jones and colleagues. And they cite a 2014 article by Jones et al, including some people that we know like uh, Nelson Cox and Paula Fedorka Cray, um, and the title of the article is Microbiological Impact of Three Commercial Laying Hen Housing Systems, which appeared in the journal Poultry Science. So the, this, is a, this stuff is getting confused here. This is looking at three commercial systems. It's not looking at backyard slash front yard poultry operations. And if you read the article, the article abstract says there were no differences in pathogen detection in the shell pools from the three housing systems. And so what that says to me is somebody is kind of misrepresenting the truth. And this is where 
I talked about uh, Stephen Jay Gould uh, because he has this wonderful essay in the book Bully for Brontosaurus, where he talks about the uh, the the myth of the or I'll get the exact title in a minute, but basically how science textbooks sort of through lazy scholarship perpetuate these the the, the this inexact language and it's really and that's what's going on here somebody says oh that uh, jones et al says this but nobody ever goes back and reads jones et al and it turns out jones et al did not say anything of the kind but now it's sort of a couple of links deep in the stack and and all of a sudden it's meaning something different than what people thought it was meaning so anyway it's uh yeah, just that's well, just super annoying. Yeah, and that and, and you know, I want to I want to highlight because I think this is an important piece for all of us in um, in food safety or in the sciences is that once it once it makes it into one paper and then it gets cited in another paper and there's you know three iterations of this, it just becomes dogma, right? Like like people just just will will just look at it and say, okay, well, you know, there, here's a here's a reference. And even if you go back to the original reference, actually doing the work to go find it and find where that conclusion came out of is, um, I think it happens a lot. And I think it, I think it gets really messy. Um, and there's probably like a lot of dogma out there on this. You and I actually recorded a podcast episode um, on Monday this week for our friends at um, our, our, our friend with our friend, Michelle Foreman and Sherry Shea at um, APHL, the uh, Association of Public Health Laboratories, that this episode will come out at some point. But, but I, I talked a little bit about this as it related to um, poultry washing, where some of the historic, like where that came from is, is from a, 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 like don't wash your chicken, as a, as a message came from a study that wasn't designed to figure out if it was safe or not to wash your chicken. And it was a study that was done with tons of limitations. And it's not to say that the, the practice is incorrect. And we, you know, I'll, I'll toot my own, you know, food safety horn on this one a little bit, because we, we did a lot of work on this over the last few years to, to confirm or better describe the situation of what happens when someone does wash poultry um, in a consumer sink, but it was, it became dogma without anybody checking the reference to see whether that was the right thing to do. And what, what I walked away with was you shouldn't wash your chicken, not because of the reasons that was, that, that have been cited from the original report that wasn't intended to, to assess this risk. You shouldn't wash your chicken, which and that, that reading reason was it could spread contamination up to three feet away from your, your sink. It's not like after watching, gosh, almost 350 people actually wash their chicken. That's not realistic. You don't do it because it really contaminates your, the basin of your, of your sink. And we do a lot of food preparation in that base, in that sink basin. So, but, but to me, it's analogous to this situation, right? Like, like free range eggs are, are, are le, you know, less safe because of salmonella. Well, no, not really. That's not actually what the original study said. And that just became dogma. So, yeah. So we should, we should, I mean, be more, we should all be more vigilant, right? And let's check the references and, and, and that it takes time and it, yeah. 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 But it, but it's, but it's lazy scholarship if you don't. And so exactly. you really, you really should. 
right? Yeah. And, and this is one thing too, that it just really bugs me when I'm reviewing an article, I will check the first few um, to say, and, and so often somebody is citing a very specific article where the authors probably said what the citing authors are attributing to them, but it wasn't an article about that, right? You know, let me, yeah, I'm trying to think of a good, a good example. It would be, it would be like somebody, oh, what, I mean, but you know, it's, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's not the right, that's not the right citation. Oh, like, like saying, oh, um, uh, listeria causes uh, fatal illness, you know, so many cases a year, blah, blah, blah. And they, they cite a Schaffner paper on listeria modeling. Well, right, right. that's not the right, that's not, thank you for the citation, not the right citation. You should go cite Scallon et al., right? Go cite, right. go cite the proper or, you know, a CDC web page or something. Don't, don't cite a paper that just cited that paper, right? I mean, go, you know, go and actually do dig, dig back into the original reference and then make sure that it says what the authors that are citing it say that it says. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, I, I think that's a really good point because you've got a situation here where you might've written that in your introduction and now you're becoming the source. For, yeah. for the next paper, which, which is not, yeah, it's, that's not what the paper is. And I don't, don't do. want to be the source no. of that, right? Cite me for the work that I've done, not the work that I've cited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So we did, what other, what other feedback do we have here? Oh, we got the Patrick uh, Quaid feedback on yes. Lucky Charms. Yes. Let's go there. So, yeah. So uh, Patrick sent us a really nice message and I, I forgot to link to, I was poisoned in the uh, in the show notes. So we'll, we'll, we'll fix that in this, this, uh, revised version. Um, so, uh, so, so Patrick says, I was, I've just been enjoying food safety talk on my evening run and then at the grocery store. And as I'm examining some Brussels sprouts, your new, I was poisoned segment popped up delighted. Great to hear critiques of things. We don't do so well. Thanks for that. We keep trying to improve. I mean, Patrick just continues to impress me, right? Like here's a guy who, uh, did a some, made a website that kind of made, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And what did he do? Well, he came to the meeting, IFP meeting, and he talked to people about it. I mean, this guy, yeah, he's, he's a bit fearless, and I really like that. Um, so, P.S. I know you're very busy, and I hate to send long emails. Well, congratulations, Patrick. You've sent a very short email, and you've disguised disguised the fact that it's long by putting a uh, nine point PS. <laughs> so, so thank you for that. Um, uh, good lucky charms. Yes. Very strange. Uh, good point about the meme, Ben, we have not been able to find one. It appears genuine, unprovoked, authentic, and reports continue to come in. He did send a LinkedIn message to the head of food safety QA for general mills, uh, mentioning we we're seeing something, but no response. Um, he says, we do encourage people to attach photos of the barcode. So that's fantastic. Um, in the case of Lucky Charms, we've also asked people to save the box and leftovers in case someone gets interested in testing. So that's fair. That's what we were asking for. Um, it would be great if we had the resources to get the test done on behalf of the complaints, but obviously they, they don't, you know, which is reasonable. Um, a reminder that not all reports show on the website, and that's up to the complainant, right? And so if the person doesn't want to reveal that they've had an incident, they don't have to. Um, but he does say he's willing to share all the, he says, Lucky Strike reports. I'm pretty sure unless we're talking about tobacco, he means, he means yeah. lucky charms. So um, we are aware that people's attribution may be off, uh, sometimes clearly off, right? But we do some pretty cool add-ons after the initial report to capture other causes. And he says he's like to explain that. And so that's that's cool, right? Like, I love that he has this thing and it's not perfect, but he's just, he's always trying to make it better. I mean, this is just, is really impressive. Um, let's see. Um, 
as, as for imperfect attribution, we consider, as do many people in public health, uh, that the, cons the initial reporting is the start of a journey of discovery, can lead to a 72-hour food history, et cetera. Uh, we would prefer to hear from people experiencing symptoms, even if the initial attribution is flawed. I think you're right. I mean, yeah, let's not, yeah, let's let's draw them in. Let's get the information, and then we'll 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 fix it as we begin to explore. Um, yeah. So, that's, and again, he does allow people to report perceived food food safety uh, infractions, and uh, so he, he links to somebody talking about a, a buffalo, and this will maybe be a good place to link. I uh, linked a, a Buffalo Wild Wings where somebody is uh, not happy. I ordered to go order of 30 boneless wings. I ate one and it was cold in the middle. So I started cut, cutting up the rest of them. They were all raw inside. Symptoms, diarrhea. So, oh my gosh, that is a that is a picture for the sashimi episode. My goodness. Yeah, that is a that is not good. Not good. Not good. Yeah. Um, Oh, uh, and then my comment about comments, uh, they offer comments uh, again, and we'd be delighted if you ever feel like commenting at times it requires a one time ping to log in, but then you can comment away. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I I have started making some comments. Uh, ben, yes, it was us posting on Reddit. I've recently been occasionally experimenting with posting things on Reddit when our complaint or others may benefit from insider insights or other expert insights, or just intel from other specialized groups, e.g. serial fans. So very cool. Very cool. Uh, I, yeah. So I, since you, um, since we talked about um, the, you know, uh, I, I was poisoned since actually that lucky charms episode, I started signing up for the local reports and it is really interesting. Like, you, you know, we, we've talked about this a few times, but it's, some of this is, is useful. There's signals here and, and the, the biggest challenge I think for, I was poisoned and others and users of it is how do you cut, the signal to noise, to noise. ratio. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, here, I'll give you one that, that popped up in my local one, um, a, a, a Harris Teeter um, on Capitol Boulevard in Wake Forest. So I know exactly where this is. I drive by it like four times a week as I either play hockey um, or myself or coach hockey. Um, Friday, uh, I the children were in daycare and I bought cupcakes. Um, I brought, bought store, bought cupcakes for my daughter the last day of daycare. They were sealed and everything. The children ate them at 2.45 on Friday. My daughter began vomiting at 5.30 on Friday. Her friends at daycare be, be, began vomiting through the night. Um, currently five have been affected, but I'm still um, contacting to see if there are more. The only, the children who only ate the icing are not sick. The children who ate the actual cake part got sick. I, to me, I wonder if this one is a, you know, maybe at daycare, there's a norovirus outbreak, right? Like the, the, maybe it's not the cupcakes, yeah. maybe, but, but again, signal to noise ratio and interesting, like what is really, what's really cool about I was poisoned is there's a bunch of stuff that, that is useful for lots of people to take a look at. And, and there certainly are times where, where it's, where it's correct. Um, are you still there? I am indeed still here. Oh. I'm getting a note that my internet connection is unstable, but I, I heard you, you were robotic for a second, but you sound good yeah. now. So yeah, cool. you're, you're back. Um, where, where else, where else shall we go? Uh, we have some guest feedback. Oh, gosh. Well, I think we have to talk about, um, LD sledge. <laughs> we gotta go. Okay. Have to, yes. Cause I, I do have a hard ish out at yeah. uh, top of the hour. So this is where we need to go right now. Okay. So, so here's how this all started. 
Here, here's this feedback comes to us from listener to the show and show contributor and show co-creator uh, Don Schaffner. Um, Don Don writes to me yesterday. Um, uh, um, <laughs> Don, Don, Don forwards me a message from Barry at Green Dragon Communications. Uh, and, and he says, I want to have a fake podcast about where we interview these people and never put out the episodes, which Don, a little bit of foreshadowing, we we did after we, we did. talked about this we earlier. We did actually have a fake podcast. We had a fake podcast where we, where we never put out the episode, but let's let's talk about it again. Um, so, and, and this, Don is referring to a series of emails that he received from Barry. Barry writes, and I want to go backwards, reverse chronologically, because I think that it really adds to the to the story here. Um, Barry wrote to you yesterday, uh, no, on Monday and said, hello, I hope that I'm not bothering you. Just checking if you're interested with the email that I that was sent, that we sent. We would love to discuss it with you. Thank you and have a nice day. And then that was a follow-up to an email he sent to you on Friday that said, hey, we just wanted to check if you were doing well. And if you've seen the email we sent, have a nice day. And then that was referring to another email that he said, hello, Don, I strongly believe that LD Sledge would be an engaging guest for your show. He covers opportune topics, which will be of deep interest to your select audience. And, and he writes, LD Sledge is a veteran, retired attorney, cancer survivor, writer, poet, artist, chef, and native Louisiana, Louisiana son. Now he adds cookbook author to his resume with the publication of Cajun Delectables. Cajun Delectables is a delightful aesthetic romp through colorful Southwest Louisiana with its fun-filled festivals, which is great alliteration, and lifestyle, and its unique dining experiences will change your life. Discover the unique word of Cajun cooking secrets, the essential holy trinity of ingredients, and how to make a roux more than anyone ever imagined from a cookbook with LD Sledge. You'll be enchanted and rich, a Cajun chef to be, and totally hooked. And so, so I first of all, I respond to this email and say to you, yes, we need to do this. And we put episodes out. I'd love it. Like they want to promote something and we keep talking about food safety things. But more importantly here, Don, is, is just learning more about LD Sledge, which who knew? <laughs> that we would find so much out about this individual. So LD Sledge, Don, I, as I Google it, the first thing that comes up is LD Sledge, attorney LD Sledge disbarred. This is an article from 2003 from four. And I, I just need to read the article because, or most of it, because I think it's, it's wonderful. This is um, after 43 years, LD Sledge has been, has been a, or for 43 years, LD Sledge has been a practicing attorney. Many of you know him because of his commercials, but you won't see Sledge advertising his services as a lawyer anymore. He has been disbarred by the state Supreme Court. Um, quote, the testimony of these two ladies was taken by the court over my testimony that I was mismanaging my office, quote, said Sledge. But not one file was produced to show that things were messed up or that people were complaining. So, Fledge says it all. Uh. I don't even know. This is an amazing article. Sledge says 
it was in 1994 when he had a meltdown. That's when his 13-year-old son, you know, very tragically, um, his son Jake was killed in a car accident. After that, things went to hell. My mom committed suicide within the year. I got a divorce within the year. I'm not trying to apply for sympathy, but I was a ba basket case. Sledge says he needs to heal and periodically took time off from work. I would call every day, two or three days. All my clients knew, but they were taken care of and everyone was just happy. However, when Sledge came back, his employees left and filed for unemployment. He opposed it and said when they filed complaints against him with the Bar Association, the complaints included mismanaging his staff and giving money and gifts like hams to clients for referrals. Sledge does not shy away from any of the mistakes he made. It was unethical for me to give money to my clients. I should not have done that. So I I, I don't know. He'll, he's, this is, you know, in... Nine, you know, 2003. If this is the same LD Sledge, he, he also has... I, how can it not be? It's such right. a unique name. Right. It's got to be the same LD Sledge. So this, so the next thing that I found about LD Sledge um, is his, um, his Twitter, which, which is, it, it says, author, ghostwriter, artist. And, and, and then he, there, he lists and... Um, he lists a, 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 another website that um, takes that is a ghostwriter for hire, ghostwritersforhire.org, which takes you to another website that is trmainshell.com. And and I know this has got to be hard for our, our listeners to follow, but I'm hard, I'm finding it hard to follow myself, but I need to read more from another website about LD Sledge. Um you you already have the story, Don. You and I just need to write it together. He he is um, uh, there's so much here, Don. Um, miss, there's like just great reviews of how great of a, a ghostwriter he is. Um, he this this shadow behind man, his uh, his novels are page turners his non-fiction non-fiction projects simplify and make complex subjects readable and interesting my his blogs impinge they, they impinge <laughs> that doesn't sound comfortable is that the his right blogs impinge and bring the reader back for more yeah he, um he, he about about ld sledge um he served in the U.S. Army, um, and this is the this might be the greatest uh, um, paragraph ever written. Um, I, I served in the U.S. Army and was discharged honorably as a captain in 1963. For 43 years, I was a courtroom lawyer helping real people, trying hundreds of judge and jury trials in my own law firm. My word count in novels, comma nonfiction, medical, comma legal, comma blogs, comma newsletters. Comma columns, comma editorials, comma short stories, and poetry exceeded a million words. Um, Don, he has written at least one million words. And then to, to top it all off with accolade, accolades coming from governors, readers, and clients. Many accolades. <laughs> from governors, readers, and clients. And, and, for, and for some reason, that was, it's not quite as funny now. That was hilarious the first time we did this podcast, Ben. And, I and what, 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 I, what, I, what I especially like about it is like those are separate groups. Now, I, I understand that his, 
like his clients were probably not governors, but it also implies that neither governors nor clients are readers, right? I mean, everybody, they're all readers, Ben. Everybody that read his parts of his millions of words was a reader. Many of my, uh, many of my best accolades have come from governors, Don. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I know. I feel so. So here's the thing. This is the plea as we end the the show. Um, for the listeners, I, I I feel like we what would be a very fun podcast for us to record, and frustrating for people like LD Slade and others who constantly or LD ask Sledge, us. Either one or LD Sledge, LD Slade, all the LDs. LDDD, LD Sledge, um, is to come on our our this podcast or another podcast, and for us to ask them about food safety things. But but in here, I, I like how we would be remiss if we didn't ask LD Sledge about being disbarred and about writing a book for for a German, German opera singer and a grow your own food book for an organic gardening company and simultaneously writing a sequel to his one of his own published novels don's revenge it's a busily wonderful life and i'm really interested in finding out about more about it um so i don't know like do we he, he emphasizes the positive and avoids the negative unless it's called for oh gosh <sighs> you know what I would maybe just listen to a podcast that Eldie Sledge has. Maybe we do an episode with him. I don't, who knows what we have, but I feel like if you're a listener that wants us to, to have non-food safety guests who want to promote something that is not food safety related on our food safety podcast. And for us to, I don't know, like make fun of this individual as part of this podcast. Cause I think that's what it's going to turn into. I, is that mean? Is it mean spirited? Is it something that you want to listen to? Please just tell us because, and we'll take it under consultation. I, you will talk more about it, but, but I, I, I just want to know more about LD sledge. I feel like there needs to be a whole show about this guy. Uh, so anyway, I think that's a show. That's a real show. We recorded it this time. Yep. It says recording. I, in fact, if I wanted to, I could pause or stop the recording with all the fancy controls I have. So um, I know you have a heart out in four minutes. So I think we should, we should call this show. And um, LD, if you're LD Sledge, if you're listening, please contact us again um, and tell us about the food safety content that you'd like to, to pro- provide us with, or tell us about, I don't know, the disbarring. The disbarring of LD Sledge is a, is a wonderful show title. <laughs> oh, all right. Bye, Don. Bye.
good job. I was worried that we would be disenchanted by by not recording earlier, but I thought. Oh no, it was was fine. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay, we got we got three minutes to schedule. Are you good? Yeah, let's do it. So I will post this one. I sat on that last one. It just went up, right? So I'll I'll post this one probably like next Monday. Yeah, that's fine. Um, and then so two weeks. I'm supposed to go. So this is the fascinating story that I will give you the short version. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to either go to Los Angeles or Washington DC on the 17th and 18th to film a food safety documentary. But you don't know which direction or which, which location. Correct. Or what date. <laughs> I'm sorry, I missed that. Yeah. Right. Like you could be flying to LA or you could be flying to Washington. It might be the 17th or it might be the 18th or it correct. might not happen at all. Yep. All of this is true. So I'm currently holding for this very high profile food safety documentary that is very unorganized, the 17th and 18th, and then potentially coming home on the 19th. I don't know. So, but I'm all, I also have a meeting the the afternoon, the 19th. That is, I like, they've already told me to release the 19th. So I'm either recording. It looks like it's DC, probably flying up on the 17th and back on the 18th, but I don't know that for sure. Well, do you, you want to target the morning of the 19th? Yeah, so I could I could definitely do the morning of the nineteenth. I can do any time before noon. Great. So I've got a one o'clock lab meeting. Okay. Um, but so I can do nine o'clock, nine thirty, yeah. ten. Let's try it for nine. Okay. Um, and then if something changes, yeah. If you, if we got to reschedule, I mean, obviously we're pretty good at rescheduling. We just yeah. fit in an entirely new, another podcast uh, on the same day when we have yeah. to. Yeah. And it was, and it worked. It was perfect. And we, we, we already had the show notes all done. So, <laughs> or the, at least the, the way, well, it was a little bit, it was a little bit, it's been a little bit of challenge because I, it's really Safari makes it really hard to put stuff in the it, middle. True. Right. And I want, I like them to be in order. So what I ended up doing was generating the, the, the markdown text and the end, and then just going into the middle of it. Cause I had that, that I finally found that, um, that risk analysis article. And then I found the, the AI weirdness newsletter and I just, and I just, I, anyway, I, I'm pretty good with this, with this, uh, this, uh, this, this code that, uh, that uh, Brett Terpstra made. I love um, that Brett Terpstra this. made this. Yeah, I know. So good. It's cool. Um, cool. All right. I recorded this. I will edit it and we did it and we didn't like it, it all worked. So thank you. Awesome. Cool. All right. I will. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.
on Easton Road. Don. You didn't record. Don. I can't believe this. I thought it was automatic. And I'm sure you're not recording on your end. Damn I it. I thought about it. I thought Damn about it. it. This is the first time this has ever happened to us. Yeah. Freaking Zoom. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Oh, no. That's, you know, this is the problem. This is why Call Recorder is so great. <sighs> um, yeah. I realized and I was like, no, no, it must be recording. And there's no way to go back. No, we're done. Um, <sighs> so what do you want to do? Shit. Um, <laughs> some really good stuff there. <laughs> I think we... I don't know what to do. Uh, well, what's what your is, schedule look like? Yeah, that's better. I think we got to talk about this all again and do all this. Like, yeah. this is this one. This this makes me so mad. I'm so sorry. No, um, it's fine. It's fine. It, it, it was bound to happen at some point. I mean, it's fine. Yeah. But just like, let me like, so we, we need to, re- we need to, here's the thing. We need to record an episode. Um, it can be, it's not going to be the same, but it will be an episode when, yeah. what's your, what's your schedule like for today? Or what's your schedule like for when, when, when can you, when, when can we, let's, let's, let's just get the next one scheduled. Whenever yeah. That is. So, um, I could do, let's see what time is this? I could do this afternoon, like two 30. Yep. I can do that. I've got a, uh, yeah. The only thing I've got is a seminar that I'm not going to. So I could do, I could do two 30 to four. Okay, let's see that. Damn it. All right, done. Yeah. I it's you- it's so funny. Like I I had set this up, I think, for like you know, like recording on when we arrive. Yeah. And then when I made a new Zoom, I think I it's gone. Yeah. Like I just so, didn't do so it. what 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 I think what a best practice would be would be to create one link, which is always yep. the link that we use, and then set that up to always record, yep. you know, to, to record locally. And did I did I t- explain to you that the my problem with recording locally was fixed eventually? I got yes. to my university to communicate clearly. It's a setting within the Zoom app. Yeah. Um, and I just have to set it and I, I'm going to go check and make sure right now the risky or not, um, is, is set up to auto record. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I know it's fine, it's but fine. it's fine. It's, fine. it's yeah. as you know, see here, we're going to get to prove, <laughs> prove what we always say, which is we would do this even if nobody we, listened. We just did nobody, it. We just did it. We just did it. We know. Yeah. And we're going to do it again. And we're going to talk about the same things, um, but maybe even more refined. Who knows? Maybe worse. We won't get the same, like um, the, the same excitement of learning about um, LD sledge in real time. Like I just did. Yeah, uh, that's okay. Sorry about that. Um, no, it's fine. So, okay. I'm going to go ahead and set it up right now. So we use okay. the exact same one and it records on like, as soon as we start. So we won't have this up cool. again. That sounds great. All right. So um, so I will see you at 2.30. 2.30. And I've got a, a hard-ish out at four, but Go. we'll just we'll just make sure we'll we make just, it work. We, we we get it done. Yep. And we'll explain why we're recording this twice. And we you, and we've and we've got this now, right? We've got we've, the actual recording of the realization that we weren't recording, which yes. would be great content. Yeah, which is as soon as I hit it, I knew it said recording in progress on your side. And then I was, and then you paused and I was like, oh no, there was nothing. <laughs> There is no, no recording. Yeah. 
All right. Okay. Well, I will, uh, I'll talk to you at two 30. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye.